This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Texas Rangers. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Evan's working on his uh, microphone uh, talent, which is really poor uh, for the most part. It's not talent. I wouldn't call it talent. I'm, I'm working on my microphone distancing. Distancing. That's it. Your social distancing with your microphone. Because let's face facts, there is no talent here. There's, well, but we won't go there. Well, but we're there can be, be nice. some degree of modulation, I would think. I, I want to say to everybody that Evan accused me of being too mean to him on these podcasts, and so I'm going to try for at least 30 seconds to be nicer to Evan, and then after that, all bets are off. Um, okay, so in today's podcast, we're going to talk about the Rangers. We're going to look at five things you should be looking for this spring. Uh, we're going to talk about our old pal Ruggio Door playing third base or playing somewhere and doing something. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, hitting approaches and how that's going to work this spring and some of the things that we've heard so far that I didn't think were very encouraging. Uh, pitching, uh, what's going to happen uh, with that rotation this year and how they're going to patch that together. Leody Tavares, a very promising center fielder last year, played actually much better than I thought he was going to, both defensively and uh, at the plate. And, and then we're also going to look at prospects, guys that uh, might be coming along here. You know, you might remember that the big reward for the Rangers for being so lousy last year is the second pick of the draft. Um, and so they cannot screw this up. Uh, they have to make sure they get a very top I, I, prospect. I think based on the Rangers history, Kevin, we need to reword that a little bit. They obviously can screw it up. They, <laughs> they must not screw it up. That is true. I, I appreciate that correction. So we're going to go right off the top talking about Rugi Odor. I don't know if there's been a uh, um, a bigger flashpoint with fans than Rugi the last couple of years. You know, you've had several people, uh, players, uh, pitchers, whatever, who have failed to live up to expectations. Uh, but none that seemed to draw the ire of fans more than Ruggie. Um, I'm, I'm not sure why all that is, but uh, let's talk, Evan, about what that is, uh, the prospects, first of all, of him being able to step in and play third base, at least temporarily. Well, I, I think the Rangers want him to play third base. The question is how much Ruggie is willing to do that, and the sense that I've gotten so far is that while he doesn't want to play third base, he's been willing to go and do the work over there. Um, the worrisome part about that, Kevin, is if a guy's heart is not invested in it uh, and you're learning a new position, um, how successful will you really be there? 
but I, I do think that he understands that his career has entered a different phase and that whatever playing time he gets here or wherever his career goes, it, it's going to be earned now. There's, there's nothing that, that protects him and is going to guarantee him time in the lineup. Let me ask you about that, because that's what's uh, intrigued me. You have used the word meritocracy a lot the last couple of years, and I know you didn't come up with that on your own because it's way too big uh, for your vocabulary. So I get the impression that the Rangers have used that term a lot. Uh, and and, and I, what I want to know is this. I know we, we have said that, well, the guy's got a big contract and, you, you know, what are you going to do? And, and to me, I always believe in the old sunk cost approach. If you've got a young guy like a Nick Solak there who's not costing you anything and you've got Ruge, you're still paying the same amount of money here. You're not bringing in another guy who's making $14 million a year to play second base. So why not just go ahead and play this other guy? Uh, and then I, then I guess, of course, the second question is, yeah, but then how does the guy who has the big contract, how does he handle that while sitting on the bench? Yeah, and they've finally gotten to that point with Rudy. And um, I, I, I think it's the least likely scenario, but I can't rule out the possibility that, you know, maybe they get to the end of the spring. Because if you look at their bench right now, there's not a whole lot of versatility on their bench. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Ronald Guzman, but even with him taking some fly balls in the outfield, he's a first baseman. I mean, that's what he is. Um Brock Holt and, and Charlie Culberson can play some some other infield spots, but neither guy is really kind of your traditional backup infielder who's capable of playing short. They don't have that guy on the roster right now. Um, and then you've got Ruge, who to this point is a second baseman and a second baseman only. So there's not a whole lot of versatility on the on the bench there. And you could get to a situation where you just say, if this guy can't play as a backup at another position and he's wedded to being a second baseman and he's not my starting second baseman, am I willing to carry this any longer? I do think that the one thing on the sunk cost theory that while it is, it's very valid. I do think the one issue on the sunk cost theory is always yes, but tell that to an owner who's writing the checks, you know, there's, there's, ego involved there's vanity involved um and and the same goes down to the general managers who who negotiated those contracts i mean it is a sunk cost on a business side but when you get down to it what it then becomes is a bad decision and those will come back and really hurt you uh both contract security wise long term and you know in your in, in ownership's faith in you long term Let's talk a little bit about, you know, uh, infielders shifting around. You know, I think people get the impression sometimes, uh, you know, well, he's an infielder, right? He can play these positions when there's not anything more different from playing a corner position than there is playing the middle of the infield where you've got time to react, uh, you know, time to set yourself and make throws. Whereas first base and third base are reaction positions. You know, the ball's on you before you know it. It's practically dangerous playing those two positions. Uh, and let, let's talk about a guy like Michael Young, who went from being a really good second baseman. And I think you and I have had this discussion before. Could have been in the conversation for the Hall of Fame, maybe, had he played his entire career at second base. Uh, I, I thought that Michael made the best relay throw that I'd ever seen in baseball. He just was unbelievable at it, playing second base, which, of course, you're, you're getting that, that relay a lot out there. Um, 
And then he moved to shortstop, and he was an okay shortstop. He, he certainly played the position well enough. Uh, and then he went to third base, and it, I don't want to say it was a disaster. I just want to say clearly uncomfortable playing over there w- w- was not good. And he got a little worse with each move uh, around the diamond, you know, counterclockwise. So, uh, but, the, but here's the thing about that. Above and beyond all of that, Michael could hit, you know. Michael was a run producer, you know, at each one of those positions, he still hit, he hit well enough, even as a third baseman, you know? So, uh, that part of it is kind of out of the, the conversation. The problem with Ruggie is even if he can make this move defensively, is he going to hit? Absolutely. And I, you know, you, I, I just go back to the idea of, data analysis and where we are in the game right now. And, and I know that it's on a pitch by pitch basis and location basis and everything. But if you take the last four years of production of Ruggie Odor's career, he's one of the 10 worst players in baseball. And at some point you have to, you have to make a decision on, am I going to trust this overwhelming data in front of me? Or am I going to believe that there's still something left in there and he just has not been a very good ball player and that carries over from as we've talked about he hasn't been a good fielder and in what's on, on the fielding level three years ago he was a finalist for the gold glove looked like he was making a, a, a lot of progress at second base but he's moved backwards there um hitting wise he's always had power and that's always been what's intriguing but he's he's not been a very disciplined hitter. I I think that as pitchers have become more and more unpredictable in their pitch sequencing, I think it has has created him even greater difficulties. And so you can do everything you want to do with your swing. If you're not understanding or keeping up with what pitch philosophy is right now, you're going to be, you're going to be battling from behind. And I, I think you add in the fact that, listen, this guy's a bad base runner. I, I don't know any other way to say it, but he's less than 50% of the time successful on, on stealing bases. And so he's got to hit. He really has to hit because that's the one skill he has in the past shown some ability to, to do the other stuff. It's just not really there. And for him to, to maintain some kind of role, there's got to be a real, breakthrough offensively um and if he does it it doesn't matter if he falls over at third base like occasionally michael did um if he does that he's going to be valuable but i'm still at a point in 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 my analysis of him where i don't know that i see or have seen any significant steps forward in being able to to play the game with pitchers where it's being played right now so if you're if you're a guess, if you were to guess right now who the Rangers' opening day third baseman would be, would you guess it would be Ruggie? I think it'll be. Um, I I think it'll be. Wow, it, it's just such a hard question. I, from my perspective, I, I it, it's a. It, I want to tackle this question two ways. There's a should and a and a and a will and. From my perspective, if you're setting up a meritocracy, I think you have to say that we're not going to base starting positions 
on what your performance is in spring training. Um, we've been fooled on that before. It's not a good environment to do it in. And so for me, he cannot win a starting job in a new position at, at the end of spring training. Could he be in some kind of platoon, say, with, um, with Charlie Culberson as a left-handed part of a platoon? Yes, he could. Um, but I do think that, you know, the Rangers, there's still this, this feeling in the air that if the Rangers see good performance out of him this spring, I still get the feeling that they're going to say, okay, since we don't have a third baseman and won't have a third baseman until Josh Young is ready, we'll give you the opportunity. Um, and I just feel like maybe there won't be anything wrong with that, but I do feel like it kind of flies in the face of what I think is a real first kind of a bellwether test of, of this idea of meritocracy. See, I don't have a problem with them starting him at third base uh, i would i would bet you that they have got him penciled in is that they're thinking unless he's a complete disaster over there this spring he is going to because for two reasons and and this is why they keep giving him that opportunity that they didn't give uh, elvis in the end uh, in my mind is that he's just got power who else on that team besides joey's got any power i mean this is the guy this is a 30 home run guy so well, this, is, this is the exact reason why he continued to play second base last year even after John Daniels and to some extent Chris Woodward basically said, you know, playing time isn't guaranteed. Chris would look down at his lineup and he would say, Who are my power options? And Odor was the one power option that he had to kind of compliment Joey Gallup. Right. So there's that. And then secondly, I, I would listen, you know, 90% of, of Rugi's game is uh, bravura. You know, he's, he's got this, he's this little bitty guy who, uh, you know, has got on 19 chains and got his uh, shirt unbuttoned to his navel. And these are all the things that drive fans crazy, but these are the things that drive him. And, and so I think that if you completely pull his pants down on this thing and say, no, you, you can't do this, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to make you sit down the bench. I think that if they let him start the season at third base, it'll at least be something it's like, we're, we're giving you this, you know, we're going to say you can start the season as our third baseman. Now, if you screw up, you're out, but we're going to start because if you start him on the bench, then you've lost him. I think you've lost him for the season. I don't think he'll ever get his head back into the game. And not that that really means a whole lot, but it would be nice to have a guy who was contributing uh, in, a, in a lineup full of question marks and a, and a guy who could fill a gap until one of these young guys, you know, Josh Young, wink, wink, uh, can come on maybe after the all-star break or later and take that position. Uh, you make a, you know, I hate to say this, but you make a strong case. Um, I just, I just feel like there's nothing in the recent um, history in the recent uh group of, of, of numbers to suggest this guy deserves playing time on a regular basis. And, and for me right now, and for where the Rangers are, and it's about supposedly setting a culture and setting a direction. For me, the most important thing is making that message consistent. And if that means that you put Ruggie Odor on the bench and you don't get anything out of him this year, I'm not that concerned about it, but I, I, I think you you know, your case is 
you could get something out of him and, you know, it could help you be a better team. And there's always something to be said for being a better competitive team on the field. All right. So we've talked about uh, Rookie's approach and, and how it's gotten him in trouble uh, a little bit. We talked about that, uh, you know, among other things we're going to talk about is our pitching, the Rangers pitching prospects, Leody Tavares. Uh, also, uh, we're going to talk about prospects uh, coming up here in a little while. Um, but I want to get to something that Ronald Guzman said the uh, the other day, which was really if, I, if I'm uh, Chris Woodward, I would be really troubled by this. In which he said he went back to the guy who's been his hitting coach since he was nine years old. And, and they decided that, you know what, I'm going to forget everything that everybody's told me for the last couple of years and go back to being what I was when I was 15 years old. And, and then he uh, tore up the, you know, Dominican league uh, and this winter. And, and so I'm sure he feels like this proves that this works and screw you guys. So, I mean, that's what it feels like to me when he says something like that. Now, Chris Woodward's uh, response was, well, we, we think he's really matured and his head's in the right place now. I, mean, I think he has to say that. He can't say this guy's doing the exact opposite of what we ask him to do. Uh, he's not going to do that now. And I don't even know if how much Guzman figures into their plans at this point. But let me ask you, what, what was your feeling when you heard what he said? I... <sighs> I will, let me say this, you know, cause it, it, a lot of stuff comes down to perspective and Ronald Guzman went back to the Dominican, had a batting cage built um, next to his house and took on a project to remake himself as a hitter, all things that, and, and, and committed to it, all things that in and of itself um, are significant steps towards improvement. Um, at the same point in time, Willie Calhoun went to California worked with a hitting instructor and did not work with the Rangers hitting instructors this winter. He spent the time with Doug Latta. Doug Latta has a little bit more of a reputation than Ronald's hitting instructor does. Uh, but I think both hitting instructors were in touch with the Rangers and, and communicated with them. And so while there was some tear down of some things, what I guess I'm saying here is I don't think that the Rangers viewed it as in either case, that these guys are simply disregarding everything they've said. In the case of Guzman in particular, a guy who is six seven, and who in the minor leagues had so many different hitting instructors come and go, and who's got so many long, different levers to his swing, I think that his message was more along the lines of, I've gotten too deep inside my head. I need to back off and feel a little bit more simple. I don't think he's swinging like he was as a nine or a 10 year old, but I do think he's, he's tried to take a break from, I have just like when you set up for a golf swing and you've just gone through a lesson with your instructor arm here, wrist here, back here. I think he had gotten to that point. And I think what he was able to do this, this winter more simply was just go out there and swing a little bit more freely. And I think that one thing that I give this Rangers coaching staff a whole lot of credit for is I don't feel like there is a lot of territorialism. If somebody can connect with somebody else saying stuff that is essentially the same in a different voice, different message, they'll take that and they'll make they'll they'll run with it. The issue for me 
is that it just does seem like there are a number of Rangers hitters who have struggled to grasp either what the Rangers are selling and have been selling or simply struggling to keep up with where the game has changed in terms of pitch sequencing, analysis, pitch usage, things like that. And to me, it's that latter part that may be more troubling. I, I don't know if this group has has put in as much time into understanding what pitchers are doing to them as they are trying to understand the mechanics of their swings. Yeah, the thing that's difficult for me to grasp here is that there's no question in my mind that there is a, a message problem here. Uh, now, the the problem is, is it on the receiving end or the delivery end? Who Who is at fault here? Because uh, I can remember going in after uh, uh, Woody had talked about someone, and I don't even remember what it, it said, something to Nomar Mazzara about, yeah, then he has really worked with Nomar and he's got, he's finally got Nomar to do this. And then going and asking Nomar about that afterwards. And he was clearly ticked off about it. It's like, no, you know, no one's done that with me. He, you know, his attitude was, this is any success I have is my success. It's not, it does not come from these people. So it was clear to me right then that they're having trouble here. This isn't working. Uh, and then, then I'm in, you know, Minneapolis and then on the, series against the twins and uh and then uh elvis is saying that uh you know i told rugi we can't all be shinsu chu you know you you got to be yourself you got to be what got you up to the big leagues which you know that is pretty much a time-honored kind of tradition in hitting at least it was until the last five years or so and uh even rudy jaramillo who i think most people would say was the most successful hitting coach in rangers history um, when he would work with guys and he worked with an assortment of guys, but between the Astros and the Rangers, certainly a guy like Jeff Bagwell, the weirdest swing in the history of baseball. And, and, and I remember talking to Rudy about that. And his was that, you know what? I try to take what this guy does and put him in the best position to make that work. And I think that really resonated with hitters. They, they felt like this guy's not trying to reconstruct me or rebuild me. He's just trying to make the best me. And so I, I think when I watch and I listen to what is going on in the conversation, I can't tell if these hitters are simply, you know, just not getting it and won't get it because certainly no Marmazar didn't get it in Chicago. Right. Didn't work there either. Um, or is it a situation where these guys just aren't doing a very good job of delivering the message? Well, remember that the hitting, the hitting coach position with the Rangers has been very transient and so has, so has the hitting coordinator's position in the minor leagues. So guys who have come up here for a while have had an awful lot of different voices in their head. I feel like if I'm understanding Luis Ortiz and Chris Woodward, where their emphasis has been, has been much more, not so much understanding the mechanics of their, of, of players' swings. I think players understand that. And like what Willie did in California this winter in working with Doug Latta was basically try and shift his his weight a little bit so it's a little bit more evenly balanced and that's a that's not a huge huge change but I do think that guys have really struggled with the way pitch strategy has become you can't just sit on fastballs early in the game and so many of these guys Mazzara Odor 
these are these were these were guys who are great fastball hitters but the game has changed man and um you're you're having pitchers throw backwards what we would consider backwards regularly with breaking balls and off-speed stuff early in the count and i think that where these guys have really struggled is on that end i respect the heck out of rudy jaramillo but i think when rudy was teaching the game it was much more about swing mechanics. And I think now it's much more about understanding opposition strategy. And there are guys who are going to get it. Look, you talk hitting right now with a guy like Josh Young. And I don't know if this guy is going to hit in the big leagues or not. But it certainly sounds like he understands both the, the mechanics of his swing and where he needs to be uh, in his mind to approach big league pitching. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, especially about uh, the way you're being pitched to now. And I think that's probably what stumps these guys. Uh, I think also that kind of plays into a little bit about, uh, um, well, Rangers draft strategy. Uh, certainly we saw what they did by taking two college players, uh, uh, Davis Wenzel and, and Josh Young in the first round a couple of years ago. So um I think that that uh, and certainly would factor into uh, what could happen shortly. So uh, we, we've talked about uh, Ruggie Odor. We talked about hitting uh, approaches and, and uh, whether the message is getting through or not. Uh, let's talk about pitching a little bit here. Um, you know, I'm a little reluctant to, to get on board with this because I just, you know, there are so many candidates in this uh, for this Rangers rotation. I mean, really. Uh, I've seen it, you know, said, okay, Kyle Gibson will probably be, you know, the opening day starter. It's like, wow, that might be the, the, the least impressive opening day starter the Rangers have ever had, you know, uh, that that's, that's really something for fans to look forward to Kyle Gibson on opening day. Uh, he's a good guy, you know, and then there are some things that, uh, that, you know, we, we can see. Uh, you know, going forward that, that maybe he's made some adjustments and he's, he's healthier now and, and, and good for him. You know, I, I hope that's all the case, but uh, man, I, I got to feel like if, if I'm w- watching this Rangers rotation at this point, what I want to know is, you know, the guy they got for Lance Lynn, Dane Dunning, you know, is this is the guy I think that, that right now is most promising of all the guys they've got, and those, those prospects, I'd rather see him go out there on, on day one than Kyle Gibson. Um, I, listen, I, again, I, I feel like I should put this on um, record and just and, and just play the drop every time. But everything that, that factors into to this year is about 2023. And I don't want to put the pressure of on Dane Dunning to go and pitch on day one uh, in his first full big league season. I don't want to do the, that to Kyle Cody. And and I'm I, I I I didn't see Dunning pitch last year. I did see Cody. I am pretty high on Cody based on the poise and the makeup out there. Um, but I think again this season, I, I I know you'd like to have something more exciting for fans, but I think this season is all about buying time and prepping guys. And I want to put Cody and Dunning in the best chances to optimize their success. And, and so for me, that's at the back of the rotation where maybe their pitching matchup that day 
is not quite as much of an uphill battle. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, that hopefully you're not putting them in, in as high leverage situations right out of the gate. Certainly there's, there's going to be time this year if you want to, to um, maneuver the pitching rotation around a little bit. But I also think in, in talking about guys like Dunning and Cody, you're talking about two guys in their, in their mid-20s who don't have a lot of major league experience, both of whom went through Tommy John uh, in 2018 and missed most of the 2019 season. So there's going to be some innings limits on these guys, both, I think, early season starts per uh, innings per start and overall, I think, in total number of innings. And so that also kind of pushes them to the back of the rotation. Um, I think it, it, it pushes them to a situation where uh, you don't want to have to count on, on burning out your bullpen the first couple of days of, 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 of a series. So um, those things are all factors in this. And I, I, where the rotation is concerned, I think that three guys are pretty much locked in. Uh, Gibson, Arihara, and uh, Mike Fultonevich. I think what comes next is the Rangers' decision of which of Dunning or Cody will they use as an every, as a every fifth day uh, as a regular starter, capable of going six innings, let's say. And which of those guys do they want to really? And and this may flip flop over the course of the year as they progress. But if they're trying to to monitor both their innings. I think one of those guys is going to be paired with what we'd call like a piggyback pitcher, like maybe, um, you know, maybe a Joe Palumbo, you bring in a left-hander to follow that one of those right-handers for three or four innings um, and, and pair those guys up. And the other possibility is maybe you go to a six-man rotation to buy everybody a little bit extra time. Um, but I don't think while the Rangers talk about building up 10, 12 pitchers, I think that's necessary. I don't think there are 10 or 12 candidates for this rotation. I, I think this rotation, as long as people are healthy, is pretty much going to be the three guys I mentioned, Dunning and Cody in some fashion, and then some potential wild card of if they go to a six-man if they go to a six-man rotation. And maybe in that case, maybe the the um, 33-year-old Korean uh, signee, uh, Hyun Jong Young who uh, had pitched over 180 innings in Korea last year. I think he had the 11th most innings on the planet last year and is a very, you know, is a, is a, a bona fide innings eater over there. Um, maybe he becomes a candidate for that sixth man. But I don't think that when you get into a lot of these other names, these are legitimate candidates to start at the beginning of the year. Are they depth options? Absolutely. Do the Rangers need to have better depth options than they've had in the past? Absolutely. But I think where, where we're at right now, most of the questions about the starting rotation are just going to be, how do you form, how do you best form that group? Not who's going to be in it. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see, not just with the Rangers, but across baseball, how baseball handles the fact that pitchers, did not get nearly the workload last year that they normally do. How do they react to that coming back this year? Is that, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I think you'll, you'll find that the teams that adjust 
the best to that uh, situation will be the teams that, that bubble to the top uh, in the standings and, and, and beyond uh, going into this, going in as the season progresses. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, and, and I think that uh, it, it is going to be a work in progress as the season, as the season progresses. Um, and I, I think that just listening to the Rangers, you know, they had a veteran rotation last year and before coronavirus hit, they were going to build those guys up really, really, uh, and stretch them out a whole bunch in spring training. They're going to move a lot slower this year. Um, and, and they're, they're going to be a lot more aware of these things. I, I asked Chris Woodward this morning about, uh, and we're not talking about starters, but we're talking about the three key relief pieces in the bullpen, Jonathan Hernandez, Jose LeClerc and, and, um, Brett Martin and those guys haven't pitched in the first three games they're not excuse me they're not scheduled to pitch today they probably won't pitch in in games before the end of this week uh and and if they build them up slow and they get eight innings this spring as opposed to 10 innings I don't think the Rangers are going to blink once it's it's all about ensuring that these guys stay healthy and I think erring on the side of caution where where both starters and relievers are concerned so we've talked about uh, hitting and, and Ruge and pitching. Uh, let's talk about something that was actually a bright spot last year for the Rangers. At least it was in my mind. And that was Leody Tavares uh, in center field, who certainly was every bit as good defensively as we'd always been told he was. I, I'd seen him briefly on some minor league backfields uh, or in spring training, uh, but not enough to have made any kind of judgment about what kind of player he was. Uh, he was obviously very comfortable playing the outfield. He's a, you know, you just see it in him. Uh, I'd love to see that in a, in a player, a guy who's very confident of what he's doing, how he holds his hands when he's catching the ball, how he, how he sits under a, a fly ball. All those kind of things are important because they, they project an image of confidence and that's what you have to have to, to play the game. Uh, so he has that part of it. What I was surprised about was obviously he showed a little more pop uh last year now that was a small sample size and maybe he won't be able to do that again but to me if you project that over the course of a season what he was able to do uh that looks pretty good and this is something to live with and as you've talked about uh, this is not about 2021 it's about 2023 uh and and i would think if he continues to make this or if he continues to build upon that first season last year well then the rangers may have something there there's going to be a learning curve this year. There's no doubt. There's going to be some ups and downs. And I think, uh, you know, you look back at his numbers last year um, for his age and for his experience, a 700 OPS, which is what he produced uh, in the, at the big league level was, was fine. Was it outstanding? No, but I think the offensive numbers were, were better than everybody expected them to be specifically the power numbers. He could have gotten on base a little bit more, but the power numbers were impressive. Um, I will just say this, and, and Chris Woodward is prone occasionally to uh, grandiose comparisons. He's probably not the best guy to use for comps sometimes, but over the course of, of uh, the start of spring training, at different points in times when asked about, uh, when asked about Leody, he's brought up a comparison of Cody Bellinger. <laughs> He's brought up a comparison of Ricky Henderson, and he's brought up a comparison of Devon White. So if you get those, you getting the Willie Mays here pretty soon. 
uh, if you get those three guys, you've done pretty good. But let me let me say this: that defensively, and and the Devon White comp was was based on defensively when somebody asked him, "Well, you've gone so far on Ricky Henderson and and on Cody Bellinger. What about defensively?" And I, I thought that you know the guy does lope to the ball the way Devon White loped to the ball and. For a lot of people, it looked like he wasn't running all out, but what it was was he knew exactly what his foot speed needed to be, took great angles, and he was able to glide to the ball. Um, and I was really impressed with that uh, last year, um, the way that, that Leody was able to go and get the ball. Uh, offensively, on the bases, he was a good base runner. I mean, he was eight for eight in, in, in stolen bases. Is it how indicative is that long-term? I don't know. People are going to have more of a book on him this year. Um, he's obviously going to see varying times when he's on base, but there was, I think, a lot to feel like optimistic on base when he's on base. Um, I think the big question is just going to be how much is he able to get on base and will that Will he go through any prolonged slumps? And if he does, how's he going to react to that? And, and so I think the Rangers question comes down to, ultimately comes down to this, uh, providing he goes through camp and does well in camp the way the Rangers want him attack, to attack projects. And, and early indications have all been very positive. Is the club going to be content? Well, content's not the right word, but is the club going to be okay if, he starts out in the big leagues, he struggles, and they feel like they need to send him down for a bit. Or do you start him in the minor leagues and try and get some better assurances that when he comes up, he's never going to go back down? I don't know if I have an answer one way or another on that. I think that right now, for where this team's at, uh, and if you believe in this guy, I think that there's nothing that this, that would say, even if he goes through a hiccup and has to go back to the minor leagues for a month, that it would destroy who he is. Well, it doesn't seem like it. I mean, he certainly seems very confident. Of course, you know, a little bit of the problem for me with Leoti was that we've been hearing about him since he was 16 years old. And so he was considered their, their top prospect for so long. And then he was kind of, he drifted a little bit, you know, he, they, they always played him up, uh, you know, with the older guys and maybe a little bit above where he really was uh, to challenge him some. And I don't know if that was good for him or not. I, I, I get the impression, though, after watching him play last year, that, well, this is the kind of guy that doesn't bother. You know, he may not have had the results, but it didn't destroy his confidence. So, uh, yeah, I agree. I don't think that anything you do to him is going to affect him in that fashion. And so, um, you know, uh, I think you can – in. in in, ba in baseball today, uh, if a guy feels his position that well, you can live with the numbers if they're not great. If he's got a little bit of power uh, to play center field, especially, then that's that's really good. If he could hit 20 home runs and play that kind of uh, defense in center field, and yes, you'd like to, for his on-base percentage to be, uh, you know, 340, somewhere in there, that'd be great. But if, if not, you know, if he could at least do those other two things, I think that's good enough for now. Um, so let's talk about, uh, uh, prospects, uh, you know, that, uh, that the Rangers have earned on for the right of being so bad uh, last year and what could, uh, might be looming out there, uh, in the draft, they will have the second pick of the draft, which, uh, rank, uh, remind me now, uh, Evan, when was the last time the Rangers ever picked as high as number two? 
they haven't picked in the top three in the last 30 years. I think their last number two, their last top three pick was Kevin Brown in 86. That sounds right. And what pick was he? Three. Three. And he was pretty good. He ended up pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I, I think it's really hard to screw up a pick that high. Although the Rangers certainly did that with Dylan Tate, who was number four. Uh, and uh, wow. Wow. What a terrible pick that was at number four. Cause there were, there were players all around there. It's almost like if you threw darts around that, that pick pretty much anybody that anybody took was pretty good uh, and at least been serviceable. And, and Dylan Tate wasn't even that. Uh, I just don't understand that might be, that might be the Rangers' worst draft pick in 30 years, uh, I think, considering the fact that you had such a high pick. Uh, you cannot – you simply cannot screw that up. And you took a college player. You know, it's one thing if you're taking a high school player and you're gambling on the upside there. This is a college player. He should have been a pretty much uh, a, a proven deal. I will say that the I will say this the other college pitcher I think that was in some consideration was Carson Fulmer of Vanderbilt, um, which we um, would consider foreshadowing in the business. And I was uh, I was real big on Carson Fulmer, and he too has been uh, pretty much an unmitigated failure at the big league level. Uh, and so. Uh, their pitching choices weren't great. I think the one thing that stands out is that Andrew Benintendi was sitting there, a college player, not a college pitcher, but a college player. And yes, he's been more than serviceable. Uh, it's coming off of a down year, but you know, he was sitting there for the Rangers to draft and, and they bypassed him to, to go and get Dylan Tate. So let's look at uh, what, uh, what some of the prospect that you saw recently that was out at Globe Life uh, Field and, uh, and what the potential is for uh, any of those guys that might have stood out for you. Well, I don't, you know, the, the tournament that was at Globe Life Field uh, two weeks ago, right after the snowstorm, was tremendous. It was the best baseball event uh of the opening weekend of the college season and there are a number of there will be a number of high draft picks there i don't think the rangers top pick will be there uh, because i think that most of this group kind of tops out at in the in the 12 to 15 range um the highest rated pick by baseball america was ty madden of texas uh, the right-handed pitcher he did not look very good in his opener um the guy that did intrigue me, and I, I only watched about an inning, um, was Gunnar Hogland uh, from Ole Miss. And um, he ended up pitching uh, six innings, shutout ball, 11 strikeouts. was really impressive and followed it up with a strong second start as well this year. Um, but where the Rangers are going to be picking, uh, the, the, the guy who was uh, – the, the, the two guys who are going to be – at the middle of any conversation are Kumar Rocker and, and Jack Leiter of, of Vanderbilt. And they have both pitched twice now this year. Um, they've combined for 29 innings, no runs. I'm sorry, 19 innings, no runs, 29 strikeouts. Um, they both had a little bit of walk issue this weekend um, in their series, uh, but they've also played Wright State and Georgia State. Those have been their their two starts so far. So they haven't played the level of competition that uh, that, that these schools that were at Globe Life Field have. Uh, but 
trust me, they'll get tested in the SEC, and and those guys will get the Rangers will get a really good look at both those guys. And so I think in a lot of ways that's going to be at the forefront of the conversation because a college starter of that level could potentially be in the rotation for a contender in 2023. And I think that's what potentially works against Dallas's um, Jordan Lawler, who is at Jesuit high school and is probably the best high school player in the nation. He might be the best high school player. He might be the best player in the entire draft. He might be the best talent in the draft. Question is, if you draft an 18 year old shortstop, when is he going to be ready for the big leagues? And is he going to be ready to time up with when you really can open up your window to success? And, and, and I think that's a conversation that's worth having. It's not a reason to overlook a player, but I think that's going to be something that the Rangers do have to have to ponder a little bit. And I'll just leave you with this on the draft, Kevin. Um, this weekend, there was also a high school tournament at Globe Life Field, and one of the participants was IMG of Bradenton, Florida. Uh, they have a uh, outfielder named uh, Wood, who is going to be a top 10 pick this year. He homered, he's a left-handed hitter, and he homered into the bullpen in right field. But even more significantly, uh, for a team that's probably not going to be very good this year, like the Rangers, IMG has the top-rated underclassman in all of the country in outfielder Elijah Green. And he deposited one into the back of the bullpen a uh, 420-foot home run against Flower Mound uh, in, in his game. Uh, and he just looks like a monster at the plate. So I, I think the takeaway for me is that the Rangers have an opportunity to get a really, really good player here in the 2021 draft. And they're going to have a, an opportunity to get a really good player in 2022 as well, because I think they're going to be drafting high again. So what you're saying is that the Rangers are going to suck again? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. All right, good. Glad we cleared that up. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the, the, this draft a lot more uh, in the in the months to come until the draft, June the 21st, I believe it is. Uh, so we'll have uh, a, a lot to talk about. We're going to drill down and, and kind of check out some of these guys and see what they offer. And I think it's a great question. You know, do you take the best college pitcher? Do you take the best all-around all, all player if he's a high school player? Um, I know which way I'm leaning on that, but we'll we'll talk about that another day. Until then, thanks for listening in and, and joining us this time. Come back next week. We'll see you then. Bye.